and take your copy of God's word and turn with us, not to Proverbs as you're already turning there, but to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I am taking a one-week break from Proverbs. This is the week to do it because we just finished chapters 1 through 9, those series of conversations between a father and the son. And then next week, Lord willing, we will begin a series of sermons from chapters 10 through 30. Uh, those are the chapters that we have to preach topically. It's just, the, it's really the only way to preach that. And so I have read through Proverbs over and over and picked what I believe are the eight most important topics to address. And so we're going to be talking over the next few weeks about the wisdom of God and plans, how to make plans. We're going to be talking about family. We're going to be talking about friends. Uh, we're going to be talking about our words. I've got a sermon on what the proverb says about food. So we are just going to look at all of these primary topics. And I look forward uh, to doing that with you. But this morning, I want to talk about the card you received when you walked in. You should have reserved, uh, received a card that looks something like this. And it is uh, called Serve One because we are one people with one mission and we're asking every member of our church to make a commitment to serve for, for one year. And this is something we do every single year. And the reason we do it now is because, which listen carefully how this works, we have our areas of service begin in August. And they go from August all the way through till the next school year. And so we talk about this every spring because our college students are here and everybody's here and you're in the room in the spring. And then we get your names, and then in the summer, we have the opportunity to kind of see where we have holes and gaps and where we need to fix, and then we reach out to you, and then in late July, early August, we begin to train you, and then you start when we launch back to the beginning of the school year. So this time of year is essential for us uh, to begin to do that. These cards exist to serve as a bit of an on-ramp and an off-ramp, meaning we are asking every member of our church to fill out one of these cards. If you've served in the same area for 30 years, we're going to assume you're not doing it unless you fill out a card. And one of the reasons we do this is because some of you know if you have volunteered to serve in a church, you, you kind of assume you're going to be doing that for the next 90 years until you like into well pay. I matter past your death. We're just going to assume you're still doing it. And so there's often never a time to say, I'm not sure I want to do this again. I want to try something different. So we kind of clean the slate and say, we're asking everyone, no matter what you do, to fill out a card and tell us what you're doing next year. That allows you to kind of join service and maybe you want to transition and do something a little bit different. But even if you're doing the same thing, we need you to let us know that and fill out that information. And our expectation, listen, our expectation is that every single member of our church, I just want to be really clear on this. Every single member of our church is going to fill out this card. We don't have it online. We actually have physical paper cards that you would use a pen or a pencil with. And uh, you might not use a pencil. We might change your area of service to something you don't want to do, but to maybe use a pen. And then you're going to drop it in a box out there uh, so that we know that we have your card and that we want you to return it there. If you have questions, you can, I think you can do something with this little box on there with your phone. And that will take you to a list of all the areas of service. And then out there at the table, there's this little, little packet. It's like eight pages that has a paragraph of every area in our church that needs help. And so all of that is there. As a pastor, in some ways, this is easy. It's easy because we need help and you chose to join the church. 
So this, this should really be, in some ways, really easy, kind of a, a no-brainer. This is, this is the bride of Christ, and the reason God chose that phrase is to show us how much he loves the church. You've heard me say this before, you cannot say you love Jesus and don't love the church. That work. Like, you can't say that. If you love Jesus, you will love the church. The church is the bride of Christ. We are a family. And in a family, everyone participates. We are a body. And that illustration becomes really clear to us in Ephesians chapter 4, where it says, Jesus Christ has ascended. He sat at the right hand of the Father, and he gave gifts to the church. Which means the plan of Jesus was that as he is seated at the right hand of the Father, his church is still making him known through every single member who's received a gift. And it is only all of those gifts working together in which the church looks like Jesus. Because unless every member is working, the church can't work. And I don't mean we can't get the job done. We, we know how to get the job done with 30% of the people working. We figure that out. What I mean is this. We can't be the body of Christ, displaying Christ, without everyone's gifts involved. And so you are gifted by God. You are needed in the church. You are called. You have been commanded to sacrificially participate. You are not called to be a spectator at church. I have discovered this over my 20 years of pastoral ministry that generally speaking, if I have someone that is complaining a lot and they're frustrated with a lot of things and maybe we've changed some things and they don't like the changes and, and uh, just whatever it may be, they're complaining or grumbling. I have, I have discovered that most of the time that person does not give nor serve. That's just generally the truth because they have viewed the church as, as a spectator and they have viewed the church as a country club where they come and get served and get their needs met. And, and do we want to bless you and serve you? We exist as a staff to figure out how to bless you. But this is a place in which you learn to serve and you learn to give your life for the good of others. And yet, as simple as that is, I really struggled with this message this week. I came on Monday morning to the staff and we have a prayer time every morning morning. And I said, staff, I don't know, I don't know how to do this. Like I, 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 I want to make sure that as I'm motivating the church to serve, I'm doing, doing it in a way that is right and holy and honoring to the Lord because the way I motivate you matters because the way I motivate you determines the culture of our church. It also, in a deeper way, will often determine the way you view God. The way a church motivates you is going to determine the way that you view your Christian life, the way you view your relationship with God, and it absolutely determines the culture of the church. And so I don't want to subtly motivate you in ungodly ways, ways that you might not even notice that would seem normal, but they're not producing the culture or the people or the hearts that we want to. For instance, I don't want to motivate you with legalism. I, I don't want to be okay if you just do something but your heart not be right. So uh, we're not pragmatist. And what I mean by that 
If we don't come to you and say, we don't care how your heart's doing, we just need you to do something. And God wants you to do something, an outward type in duty-driven religion. Not only is that dangerous because it creates more Pharisees in the church, it could actually end up sending you to hell. Because we might teach you somehow that as long as you're doing something, God's okay with you. So I don't want to motivate you out of legalism. I, I don't want to motivate you out of guilt. So how do you do that? Well, maybe something like this. Jesus bled and died for you. And you can't even get here 30 minutes early and make coffee. Now, I'm just telling you, I love that kind of preaching. I grew up on that kind of preaching. And I could stand here right now. If you didn't have lunch plans for an hour and a half, I could just, oh, I love it. It's good stuff. Jesus left heaven and went to the cross and suffered and died. You can't even shake somebody's hand on a Sunday morning. Oh, it's good stuff. But it's guilt. It's not holy and it's not righteous. Is it a little bit true? Yes. But it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't lead you to serve in the way I want you uh, to serve. I don't want to manipulate you into serving. If you really loved God, you would serve. You say you love God, but you don't love God because you don't do anything. Well, that's, that's manipulation. I don't even want to use good old-fashioned, southern, passive-aggressive motivation. You know, you're right. You're right. I know you're tired, and you've got so much going on, and I know all the activities you have, and so honestly, this is what you pay the staff for. We'll just take care of it. Don't, don't worry about it. I mean, there's a bunch of us. I know you think we've overstaffed, and so we'll just take it. And honestly, if you let a baby cry long enough, it'll go to sleep. It doesn't need to be rocked. And why do people come in here visiting and think they need to be greeted? They should come in and say hey to us. So I, why don't we just, we'll just give you a break. I know you're tired. You know what I'm talking about? I got a lot more good examples of that, but we'll move on. I don't want to guilt you into serving. I don't want to shame you into serving. I don't want to coerce you into serving. I don't want to bribe you into serving. I don't want to develop that kind of culture in our church. And I don't want you to have that kind of view of God. The text I almost preached this morning was Psalm 100. There's a reason I didn't, but, but listen to Psalm 100. It says this. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This is, my, this is my prayer for Prince. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. What, what, what do I want to happen when you come into church at Prince I want you to see a group of people who are serving the Lord with gladness. They're coming in with singing, with thanksgiving and with praise. They're blessing the name of God. We understand that we belong to God, that we are the sheep and he is the shepherd. That's the culture I want here. But what, what I realized and the reason I'm not preaching Psalm 100 is because that's the fruit, not the root. Like I don't want to just say serve the Lord with gladness. How can we serve the Lord with gladness? This is what I want. And so I just begin to pray. Lord, how do I, how do I teach our people to, to serve from the heart? How do I teach them to serve from delight in God and, and love for God? What is the best motivation? And I thought of a lot. And I made a list of a lot of different motivations. 
I mean, the fact that we are the body of Christ and we need each other. That the church is the bride of Christ and we should be giving our best to the church. This is a big thing for me because it's a big thing to God. The church should not be getting our leftovers in every area of our life. It doesn't get our leftover money. It doesn't get a leftover time. It doesn't get our leftover affection. This is the, this is the bride of Christ. You have been gifted and we are a family and this is the way in which we cultivate Christ's likeness as Christ served. And, and just out of love for God and love for others, it does stir up love. And so I thought of all of these motivations. But, but what I want to do this morning is I want to try to motivate us to serve based upon our mission and our vision at Prince. And my goal is to help you see service as essentially the life of Jesus in you and flowing through you in a way that blesses others and glorifies God. The very life of Jesus in you, flowing through you in a way that blesses others and glorifies God. And I want to take 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21 as our text. If you're there, say amen. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, what should our gospel presentations be like? We persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Paul talking about his ministry to the believers in Corinth. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. Listen to this, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, listen, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We do not just see people as flesh and blood. We see beyond that because our eyes have been changed by the spirit. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We see him now, not just in his flesh, but in his glory and splendor. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? Well, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Is that good news? The good news of the gospel is that when you are reconciled by placing your faith in Christ, God does not count your trespasses against you. And he has entrusted to us that message, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is a key phrase. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I believe 2 Corinthians 5.21 may be the most important gospel verse in the New Testament. It's talking about what we call the imputed righteousness of Christ, meaning that God demands you be righteous. And the way you get righteous is because Christ on the cross took all of your sin and you received his righteousness by faith. 
And so then God sees us in the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? So that we could become righteous. So Christ separated from God on the cross, us brought into the family of God through the righteousness of Christ. You don't get into heaven by your righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. I'm gonna give you two statements this morning to help motivate us. The first one is this. Our mission is people. Our mission is people. Our mission here is leading people to trust and follow Jesus. That's our mission. Leading people to trust and follow Jesus. The reason that's our mission is because that is our paraphrase of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So I don't think any church has the right to come up with their own mission statement. The mission is the Great Commission. And our interpretation of the Great Commission is that we wanna lead people to trust and follow Jesus. And, And what we mean by that is that that includes those who have never heard the name of Jesus in Nepal and those of you who've been a believer for 60 years. Our vision, mission for every one of you is that we want to lead you to trust and follow. So if you meet someone who's never heard the name of Jesus on George's campus and, and, and your mission is to lead them to trust and to follow Jesus. But yet the person that's been a member of our church for 40 years, my mission for them is still to lead them to keep trusting and following Jesus more and more over and over. So the, the six-year-old that I fist bumped when I came into the service this morning and the 90-year-old that I hugged, my mission for both of them is the same. I just want you to keep trusting and following Jesus. And we are Jesus people. I hope you know that. Like, I hope you sense from what we sing and the way that we preach that I want you to come to church every Sunday and hear the name of Jesus like 113 times. Like, I just want you to hear Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I have people that come to our church for a while and they go visit another church maybe out of town and they'll tell me the thing that strikes them the most is not hearing much about Jesus at another church. Well, that's not a church. As my dad would say, that's a country club with a steeple on top. We are Jesus people, we exist for Jesus. We, we are a Bible preaching, gospel believing, Christ exalting, kingdom advancing church of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. So we are top to bottom, beginning to end, Jesus people. Here's what I found in my love for the church and my study of different churches and learning from other churches. Oftentimes, the churches that are most committed to faithful preaching of the word, which we are, and are most committed to the glory of God and the exaltation of Jesus Christ, that are the most thoughtful about the Bible and theology, are often not the best at people. Now, I don't know exactly why that is, but it's true. And oftentimes, those pragmatic churches that don't tend to open their Bible or talk much about Jesus seem to be better at making people feel welcome and loved. And that should not be the case. And I think we can be both. Let's be committed to the word of God, always exalting Christ, faithful in what we believe, non-wavering in our biblical convictions, but yet say that our mission is to get as many people to Jesus as we can. It is all about people. And the reason that has to be the case is because Jesus came for people. Luke 19, 10, Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Mark 10, 45, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And because we have been called to emulate the life of Christ, We don't come to church to be served. 
but to serve and to give our lives for the sake of others. And then, of course, Philippians 2 talks about the humility of Christ and the descent of Christ who did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but regarded others more important than himself. And so it is that we too are not only to believe the gospel, but to live out the gospel. And the way we do that is we give ourselves sacrificially for the good of others. That's what a gospel person does. So it's one thing to say, I believe the gospel. It's another thing to say that I'm living out the gospel in daily life. And so it is that model of Jesus, this is Philippians 2, that we humble ourselves and regard every person more important than us is exactly what Jesus did and what we're called to do as well. So our calling as gospel people, and so if we say we're a gospel church, well, we must be that not just in our proclamation, we must be that in the fact that we're a gospel church because our members sacrificially participate in the lives of other people. That's a gospel church. Like if you give me a church that just preaches the gospel faithfully, but they don't love and sacrificially serve others, they're not a gospel church. They, they somehow have a mind of it, but their heart has not grasped it. And I see that and look at chapter five of second Corinthians verse 14, the love of Christ has controlled us. We're compelled and controlled by the love of Jesus Christ because we've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And they have died that those who live, and that's what it means is those who have died to themselves and come alive with Christ, those who have trusted Christ. And so they have sacrificed their life and they have received the life of Christ. They have died that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The life of a believer is that we have died so that we might live now for him. Our lives exist for him and for his glory and for his mission. Look what it says in verse 16. So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is an unbelievably powerful verse. It goes with the Matthew 9 we talked about a minute ago. Jesus looked at a multitude and he could have said to his disciples, what do you see? And the disciples would have said a bunch of people. And Jesus would have said, I see people harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. What that means is what God wants to do in our hearts and what he says when he says we regard no one according to the flesh, that every person that walks into this building and every person we see on campus and every person we see at the workplace and every person we see at the community center, we don't see them as flesh and blood. We see them as a soul that matters to God. We see them as someone created in the image of God, loved by God, whom God desires and loves and treasures and the responsibility of believers is to be the visible presence of Jesus in such a way so that person comes to know the way Jesus feels about them by the way we feel about them. And that's the mission. The mission is we don't see people according to the flesh any longer. We see them as, as those created and loved by God. So the way in which God loves people and the way in which God helps people to know that they're loved is by people who love them. And so our mission is just people, 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 people. I just want to make sure we say that over time, all the time. We were just, we're all about people. We exist for people. God has created churches for people, not only just to grow in their relationship, but to reach more people. I told you last week that we are uh, adding a new position to our staff. And the reason is because there's two things that really matter to us as a church. On this side, what matters to us is that every person that walks into this building feels welcome and encouraged and loved and valued, which is a whole thing. Like that's a whole ministry. And then they understand what it means to become a part of our church. And then they join a small group where they're loved and cared for and receive the kind of shepherding and pastoral care that they need and counseling that they need. Those small groups are the, the first responders to everything. And then we know where they are. 
Like we've had 500 and something people join our church in two years. I'm not sure I know if they're all still here. And that grieves me. And so every person that walks in here needs to matter to us and we want to value them. And we want to know that if they, if they join in April, we know they're here next April. So there's that. That's just practical. But over here, our goal is not just to get you here and get you joined and make sure you're happy and get you in a group and start giving and serving and tithing. We want to know that your heart is doing well with Jesus. And that's a whole nother thing. Like, you realize it's possible for you to join the church. Listen to me. You join the church. You get in a small group. You do everything we ask you to do. Maybe you give and maybe you attend and maybe you fill out a serve one card. And you don't love Jesus. And you're not growing with Jesus. So there's that over here. And so what we want to say is we want to take Scott Moody and say, Scott, we want you to think about the, the deeper life of our people and how they can grow in their relationship with the Lord. And we're going to take this Eric Eggers, who I'll introduce you to next week, and say, Eric, just make sure our people are here and they're connected. Why? Both of those things are because people matter to us. Not only that they're here, but they're walking with Jesus Christ. Why? Because our mission is people. The second thing I want you to see is this. Our vision is presence. Our mission is people. Get that. Our vision is presence. And so our vision is to be the visible presence of Jesus in our community, which means that we believe that the way in which Jesus has chosen to make himself visible as he is seated in heaven is through the ministry of the church. That's how Jesus becomes visible. We are an outpost, you could say, of the kingdom of God. The kingdom, we're a little outpost of the kingdom. Where does the kingdom become real in the church? So we are the visible presence of Jesus in our community. Our vision is to be a healthy and growing family of faith that is passionate, here it is, this is our vision, passionate about experiencing, enjoying, and expanding God's presence to every neighbor and every nation. So our vision for you is that you would know what it's like to experience the presence of God on a daily basis. And then our vision is that you would enjoy God. Some of you don't know what it's like to enjoy God. To some of you, God is a burden. That's because you have not met him and you have not spent time with him. Because as you begin to experience him, I assure you, you will enjoy him. You will get to the place in which there is nothing you would rather do than have an extended time with Jesus. And you would get frustrated when that time with Jesus gets cut short for whatever reason. And you will look for more time to spend with Jesus because you enjoy him. And then our vision is that you are so filled with Jesus that you are expanding his presence because you are the visible presence of Jesus. That's, that's the vision. And it says that in verse 20 of chapter 5. Look at that. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is that idea of kind of being outposts of the kingdom. We have been sent here to help people know Christ. But look at this phrase, God making his appeal through us. That doesn't mean just mean verbally that God is presenting the gospel through us, but that's true in this text. Is it the way, listen to this, I need you to get this. The way in which Jesus has chosen to make himself known is through you. There's no other plan of Jesus making himself known. God does reveal himself in general ways through creation and those type of things and circumstances. But the primary way in which people see Jesus is through people filled with Jesus. One of the things we were talking about in our staff meeting on Monday is He's talking about the service and we're reminded of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the prototype of the church. What I mean is like every church wants to be the Acts 2 church. Let me just read these verses and see if, see if you want to be in a church like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came upon every soul. Do you want this? And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food, here it is, with gladness and generous hearts. And they were praising God and having favor with all people. As the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Like everybody wants that church, right? First of all, everybody liked to come to church. That's a good thing. They were excited about hearing teaching and, and praying and breaking bread together. And there were so many signs and wonders. There was an awe among the people. They were together and day by day, they were spending time with one another. And listen, every day someone was getting saved. Is that the kind of church we want? Every day someone's getting saved. And so here's, pastors can be so dumb sometimes. Here's what pastors tend to do. They look at Acts 2 and they say, we want to be this kind of church, just dynamic worship and sacrificial service and, and mission-minded. So let's create some programs that can, that can kind of force this to happen. So we're going to start something where, where every week you go to somebody's house and break bread together, whatever it is. Just dumb. We just do so many dumb things. And the desire is right. Like we just want to create this. But, but let me tell you the secret of Acts 2. The reason you have an Acts 2 church is because you had an Acts 1 church. So in Acts 1, they're hearing the word of God and receiving the word of God. They're begging God for favor. They're seeking the presence of God. They're together on their knees asking the Lord. And then in Acts chapter 2, the presence of God comes upon them. And the reason you have an Acts 2 church is because you had an Acts 1 church that received the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And then you get an Acts 2 church. Like that's how it happens. So what that means is our first priority is to seek God. That's first. We seek his presence. We want God. And we go after God and we pray and we seek the Lord. And we're asking for the Lord to fill us with his fullness of his spirit. Ephesians 3.19. Why? Because the way in which the mission is accomplished is through the fullness of God's presence. Everything flows out of the presence of God. God is ultimate. It's him we want most. But we want him not just to delight us, but so that he might work through us. And so what you have is this vision and acts of people who are filled with God and all of these things are happening. Why? Just because that's what happens when God gets a hold of people. You say, well, what does that have to do with service? Well, I'm going to get there. What it has to do with service is this. Service is the practical side of a church that wants God's presence. So one of the practical sides is we've got to be a praying church and we've got to be a worshiping church and we've got to be a humble church, all the things that bring God's presence. But the practical side of presence is service. Because all of our service is to Christ. What I mean by that is, you know, Matthew 25 says, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And I love this when Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. Listen to this. He will not overlook your work and the love that you have shown him in serving the saints. So you're serving the saints. Your work is really ultimately for Christ. It's to Christ. When you do it to the least of these, Jesus says, you did it to me. But it's more than that. Our service is also for Christ. Meaning our service is the way in which Christ makes himself seen. 
Just think about this with me. If you choose to be a door greeter and you just stand at a door on, on Sunday morning, the vision for that is not just to be a friendly church. There's tons of friendly places. We, our goal is not to be a friendly place, it's to be a Jesus place. But by greeting at the door in a way that is, that is meaningful, what it says is this, Jesus is glad you showed up today. And Jesus loves you, whether you're the prodigal son, the younger brother, or the older brother, Jesus is glad you came to church. And we want you to know that Jesus says that you're welcome, and Jesus says that you were loved, and Jesus says that you were cherished. So a greeting is not just about being friendly. It's about people seeing Jesus. Let's say you choose to, to rock a baby and let's choose to, to invest in a child. What you're showing that child, even in a way they don't realize, is that they matter to God. They're valuable to God, that Jesus is welcoming the little children. And what we want our children to experience here is not just that we're nice and their friends are here, but they come to know Jesus through the people that serve them. When you invest in our student ministry, you help a student that feels so alone and so isolated come to understand through you walking across the room and engaging in conversation is that they're seen, they're not invisible. And they're loved. And you can help them understand everybody in the room feels just as insecure as you do. And it's okay. Because see, that's the power of someone who's chosen to serve in student ministry. And in college ministry, you're saying, listen, there's a home away from home in the ministry of the local church. When you choose to work in our kitchen, you're choosing to serve in such a way that helps the church be a family together as we feast and we celebrate together. When you serve the Lord with gladness, what you're doing is you're saying that the Lord is glad and he is kind and there is joy to be found in Jesus Christ. And so our service is the way in which Jesus becomes real to people, maybe for the very first time. We will not be satisfied with being a friendly church. We will not be satisfied with being a well-organized and engaging church. We want to be a church in which every person that walks in this building senses the presence of Jesus through us. And that happens through our service. And it is simply that vision of you drinking from the wells of living water with Jesus. This is our vision for you. And then that presence flowing out of you to bless everyone you're in contact with. So what is our motive for serving at Prince? I would say it's this. It's the absolute joy of experiencing the life of Jesus in you and the life of Jesus through you. That's the joy. The life of Jesus in you. Know the joy of Jesus in you and know what it's like to see Jesus work through you. Know what it's like to step into an area of ministry and see Jesus work and see someone's life change, not because of you, but because you were willing to be a clean vessel filled with Jesus and someone's life was changed as a result of what Jesus was doing in you and through you. And so you're experiencing him and others are experiencing him through you. You're serving with gladness and others become glad because of what they see in you. And most of the time that begins, listen, with just an act of faithful obedience. It begins with saying, I'm gonna choose to serve. Like I'm gonna choose to do this. It scares me maybe in some way. Maybe I feel overcommitted in some way but I've chosen to be a part of the church. I'm a member of the church. I'm a part of the family and I'm gonna to choose to serve. And then what I'm gonna pray is that God would so fill me with himself. It's gonna motivate you to be even more filled with God. I'm gonna be filled with God in such a way that, that my service 
is the visible presence of Jesus. And then the goal would be that people are coming to Jesus because they're seeing Jesus and knowing the joy that only Jesus can provide. May God that help to be, for that to be the reality here at Prince. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.